Blog Talk Radio. Cuts that play back and ends up 
cutting back across the crease, and that player is nowhere near being able to take what would have been a simple cutback for a gain of maybe six, and the play goes for 20-plus. Uh, so I don't have any issues with the effort level. Uh, he still played hard, and the production – you, you got to see a guy on the defensive line at South Carolina that played next to him, defensive tackle Kelsey Quarles, uh, actually picked up quite a bit of that slack because he was getting so many one-on-one looks. I don't think Quarles is a really special talent, but you look at the production that Clowney had this year, uh, still very productive against the run, uh, very active in the backfield. But as a pass rusher, because he doesn't have a lot of uh, counter moves right now, if you're stunted or if you're getting blocked with a tackle and you're consistently getting chipped with a back or if the team puts the tight end on your side to widen you out so you can't quite close that distance in the same amount of time, uh, it's just not possible to win if you don't have the pass rush moves. And everything that I've seen suggests he is physically capable. Uh, He certainly has the flexibility to bend around the edge. He has an outstanding first step. Uh, he does flash good extension. So I see no reason why that can't in one to two years develop and any quote-unquote production issues uh, I don't see being a long-term issue. Uh, I heard you say, and I hear this all the time, and I haven't looked it up, and I basically know what, I'm, what it means, but I, I want you to explain to the novice what's, what you mean when you say speed to power. Speed to power? Uh, when, as a defensive end in a 4-3 or an outside linebacker in a 3-4, uh, you are what is called the edge defender. You are the last defender in the box on the line of scrimmage. Um, a lot of times in that scenario, when you come off the snap, uh, you'll see an offensive tackle in his pass kick slide, which is where he's taking that outside foot and he's sliding back and his feet are really quick and narrow. Um, He's trying to maintain the space uh, so that he's walling off that edge for the edge player as a defender to come around. Uh, and when you get into that scenario, if you are a fast player, a lot of times you'll get an offensive tackle who's playing either too far back on his heels or he's playing too far up on his toes to try and quickly keep the cushion so that you don't press around him. And when you get a player that's either too far back on his heels or too far forward on his toes, uh, you take that free run that you get off the line of scrimmage where you're not engaged with anybody, you're just firing off, and it's as quickly as you can go, and you just decide to put your hands inside the chest plate of that offensive lineman and just bull rush him back and collapse the pocket from the outside. The ability to effectively put an offensive lineman, quote-unquote, on skates to push him back and collapse the pocket from a free run is what you look for when you're looking for speed to power conversion. Awesome. That was great. That was, that reminded me. And my favorite person that does any of this all 22 stuff is Greg Cosell. Big fan. But I'm becoming more and more of a fan of yours after hearing that. Because this, I've you read your stuff and this is the first time I've heard. But that was excellent. That was, that was, um, let's, let's shift gears. Not too much of a gear shift, but to Khalil Mack. Does a small school background bother you? It would if I hadn't watched him play Ohio State at the beginning of the year. Uh, Khalil Mack is my number two player on the board behind Clowney, and Mack actually has a little bit more 
scheme versatility than Clowney does. Uh, you can put Clowney in a 3-4 a defense as an outside linebacker and stand him up. But for the first year or two years, uh, any time you're in a passing situation, uh, it would be an extreme misuse of his resources to have him moving backwards in his own coverage. Uh, Mac can play a 3-4 edge player as a weak side rush player because he doesn't have that awesome first step, but he's very quick and he has very good snap anticipation. So he's still fast off the ball, even though it's not an explosive first step. Uh, he can switch over to the other side in the 34 and play the strong side outside linebacker, uh, where his focus is taken a little bit away from rushing the passer and it's more pass drops, playing the run, setting the edge on defense where you're filtering any perimeter runs back to the inside. And he can also play either outside linebacker position in a 4-3. Uh, as a small school player, you can't look at the production and use it as justification. Uh, but you look at what this player individually does as an individual talent. And Mac is very quick in short areas, like I said, he can take one step outside and within another two steps, he's back inside that offensive lineman's face if he's coming forward playing the run or rushing the passer. So I'm not worried that he's a small school player because he was the best player on the field against Ohio State, and he flashed it all year long. Uh, my take on Teddy Bridgewater is that he's just really bad at the process. On tape, um, generally everyone I've seen pretty much likes what he has to offer. But since the process has started, starting with the combine where he didn't run and he didn't throw, which is optional, which is in his standing, but not to do any of the exercises besides the um, the measurements seemed to bother some people. Then there was the pro day. Then there have been reports for his private workouts. Heck, even his Gruden camp has been scrutinized. And, they, I mean, the knocks are he doesn't think of the room and the pro day wasn't very good and they're looking at his size more. Uh, and he has dropped, of course. To you, what what is your take on Bridgewater and what's going on through this process and your overall view of him as a prospect? I agree that in the sense that Bridgewater kind of flubbed the second half of the process, I don't have a problem with him not throwing at the combine uh, just because a lot of the quote-unquote consensus top quarterbacks coming into the combine, obviously he's not in that position anymore, but in years past, you look back, and tons of quarterbacks haven't thrown at the combine. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, I think he made a bit of a mistake at his pro day. He practiced all offseason throwing with gloves, and he decided to take his gloves off at his pro day. For whatever reason, it was just a matter of he changed his grip on the football, and I think it really affected the way he threw. Now, I don't put a lot of stock into throwing at pro days anyway. Uh, Bridgewater is my number six player. He is my number two offensive player behind Jake Matthews, the offensive tackle of Texas A&M. Uh, a lot of what I personally feel like Bridgewater is going through is just simply over-analysis. He was a player yeah, that last year – received a lot of positive kickback, uh, played outstanding in the bowl game against the Florida Gators, and then he comes into 2013 season, 
and he plays really well. I mean, Louisville had what one loss, maybe. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I know they lost to UCS. I knew a board will be on. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was a really outstanding game to watch. But yeah, it was. Good. My my issue with Bridgewater is he doesn't have elite arm talent. And when I talk about arm talent, I'm not just talking about arm strength. It's also ball placement. And this has been discussed a little bit, and it's come out as people have gone through their over analysis and I don't care about body frame and uh, he's fine there in my opinion uh, it's simply arm strength downfield passing and his ability to consistently place footballs in areas that are going to produce yardage after the catch uh, he had the luxury of a player um, uh, a receiver I believe it's Adams uh, who mm-hmm was a very, very solid football player. And in watching Bridgewater, I watched a number of games where, you know, he's getting it to the receiver, but the receiver's making nice adjustments on the football. Mm -hmm. Whereas a quarterback with elite arm talent and ball placement and accuracy skills puts that ball right on the hands where he can continue running at at the momentum and pace that he's currently at. So that's and that's and, and I love I love that you said that and brought that up because when I'm looking at tape and I'm as experienced as some, but you know I, I really do study quarterbacks and it, it, it's like you almost have you can't just analyze if they caught the ball or not. You have to analyze the placement. If you're throwing a deep ball, do they have to wait on it? Did you catch the guy in stride? And I think that's a lot of what a lot of people miss when they look at it on TV. But I'll ask you a, a general question about arm talent, and, and it applies to Bridgewater. A lot of times when you see guys with Bridgewater, you say, oh, he can make all the throws, and it's adequate. But they don't have, like, you don't say, you're not blown away by their arm, or it's not really above average. And a lot of times it seems like in the league, when they get there, it's they'll end up, we'll see that their arm is not even as strong as it looked like in the past. So with Bridgewater, does he have the ability to throw in tight windows? I think because of how mechanically sound he is, he generates enough drive that he can get footballs in, provided that you're not throwing 25, 30 yards downfield consistently. And I think any team that's looking to add him, you have to play to your player's strengths. It sounds really simple, but it's really stunning if you actually stop and look and think about it how few teams actually do, how few coaches are willing to be flexible in their system. They'll go through two or three years with players that don't fit their system and they don't adjust and the team struggles. So I think if you're looking to take Bridgewater, as long as you're having him work inside uh, a 20, 25 yard window for a large majority of his passes, um, I think he has plenty just because of his weight transition, his stride length, his footwork. Uh, he gets torque when he releases the ball, so that helps. When we're talking about rising stars or people that have broken out from the beginning of last season to now on the draft boards and being known, other than people probably break down stuff like you do, uh, Blake Bortles has to be at the top of the charts in that area. Uh, do you believe in Blake Bortles? I believe in Blake Bortles with a number of conditions, the first being that he does not play immediately. Uh, Blake Bortles, I have him 49th on my board. Uh, I have him as a a second-round value. Uh, 
Blake Bortles has outstanding frame, uh, outstanding brain. Uh, he does a really nice job mentally processing. He throws really, really well on the run. Uh, he also he just has that clutch trait about him. When you watch UCF, I mean, he rallied the troops three, four times last year. Um, Temple was a game. Louisville was a game. Uh, he was relentless against Baylor. I saw him in person play against Penn State, uh, and he put that game on ice in the fourth quarter. There's a lot to like, but, again, going back to arm talent, uh, I graded Bortles as average in both arm strength and ball placement. And a lot of that isn't because of his actual arm. It's mechanical. Uh, He has one of the worst strides into throws any quarterback in the class, in my opinion. Uh, It's pretty bad. You're right. (laughs) Fundamentally, as a quarterback, you're supposed to hit your back step. You're either hitching or you're immediately opening up your hips, stepping with leading with your front foot, pointing towards your target. And Bortles consistently opens his foot too far. He's short-striding his throws, and he's opening his hips probably, I'd say, 20 to 30 degrees too far. So he's opening up his hips too much. And he's not able to follow through and drive off that front foot. Is this a response to pressure? Is this a response to defensive pressure? Or is this just something he does as like a quirk in his mechanics? It's both. It's very noticeable when pressure because he'll fade away from the pressure. But even when he hits his back step, he'll still he'll still step, and that degree might not be as pronounced, but he's still short-striding his throw. He's not getting that front foot out and torquing like a pitcher would on the pitcher's mound. You look at a guy like Zach Mettenberger drive off his front foot, and you see him throw all that weight forward and turn off that front foot. He gets a real nice shoulder rotation. Bortles kind of just arms it. He doesn't get the torque. He doesn't drive off his front foot. And I know a lot of people watched his pro day, and they said, oh, his footwork looks great. Uh, I know a couple of people who were familiar with the UCF program, and they said Bortles' primary focus last summer was footwork. And he got into the season, and it took him six quarters, and they kept winning, and he didn't worry about it. It all went right back to where it was. I don't know how easy it's going to be to change something like your throwing platform as a quarterback. And, yeah, that is hard because you're hardwired in, and even I'm a father, and and I just try to drill into my children with basketball and football to do the right motions now because – do the proper technique because you're creating muscle memory, and it's going to be really hard to correct that. But I'm going to make my case for Bortles because I'm really high on Bortles. He's my number one quarterback. I'm going to make my case for Bortles, and you you can tell me what you think of that. In my in my estimation, he has the most transferable skills, and granted, what you said is all true with the mechanics. But I think for, it, it gets there, and I think because of his size, Sometimes it just it just get, it still gets there. Obviously, there's less time, and there needs to be more velocity in the NFL. And whether he can be consistent in that, I guess, will determine his success. But I like his movement within the pocket. I think he climbs the pocket. His movement. He has the clutch gene, and and of course, you gotta like his size. And and again, his arm is dependent on his mechanics. But it just seems most of the time it it gets the job done. Now he is not perfect. It's not pretty. And also, again, I love what he does in the pocket and his ability to avoid a rush. 
Uh, I think the key thing that you mentioned that really stands out when I watched Bortles was climbing the pocket. Uh, that is one area that he does generate nice power because his whole body momentum and weight is coming forward, so it forces him when he steps and throws to get that weight into his throw. Uh, so I definitely agree that there is a lot of upside. There is a lot of transferable skills. I can't argue with you there. I just am a little gun-shy on two parts of a quarterback. If you have issues between the ears, if you struggle processing reading a defense, that's a red flag. And with how deep these guys are into their careers, a lot of people assume that progress and development is going to be made, but not everyone can just flip that switch. So if you have mechanical issues, it does make me pull back away from a prospect as well. Yeah, which, which is perfectly reasonable. And actually, we'll get to him later, but the, the things that you're saying about Derek Carr, I mean, the, the things that you're saying about Blake Bowers are like the exact way I feel about David Carr. But, I mean, about actually David, Derek Carr. Um, the latest flavor of the month seems to be Tom Savage of Pitt. Uh, is he the real deal, or is this just much to do about nothing and we just have too much time before the draft? Uh, folks are having entirely too much time on their hands. Uh, hey, Tom Savage is my 16th quarterback. He's rated <laughs> 200, 248th on my board, uh, and he has a late fifth-round value. Uh, Savage has good size. Uh, I actually did a piece last week. I just started doing a weekly film study where I'll actually watch tape and I'll screen capture pictures and I'll diagram and show X's and O's and that sort of thing. And you can find that at my website, nbtscouting.com. Last week I did Tom Savage and his footwork and going back to striding into your throws, uh, Tom Savage, he's very lethargic with his feet. He's not a good athlete. He's got good size. He's got downfield pass and he drops a pass into a bucket very well. Uh, in the bucket, you're coming t- deep down the sideline and dropping it right over your re- receiver's shoulder. Uh, but anything else outside of that, I mean, I watched Savage throw late across the middle. Uh, he's taking a read step, going to throw to a receiver, but he double clutches, and without resetting his feet, he'll just sidearm pass off to the side. And those are the kind of throws that defensive backs who have good spatial awareness and ball skills absolutely love because they will break on those passes because without your step into that throw, if you're stepped off to the left and you're throwing to the right, that ball is going to take too long to get there, and a receiver is not going to be able to make a play on it before a defensive back will. So Savage, decision-making is questionable. Uh, Fundamentals are a work in progress does not have very good ball placement. I've seen him short hop passes. I've seen him airmail passes in that intermediate 10 to 15-yard range. Um, He's just the flavor of the month, I suppose. Do you, and this is the excuse that a lot of people make for him, that his line is horrible, and I don't disagree, but there have been plenty of times where I've watched the tape where the the pocket was clean and he just demonstrated some of the things that you're talking about. And also, even if his line is horrible, the habits that you develop to compensate for a bad line don't go away generally. 
I'd agree there. And someone made this point the other day on Twitter. Tom Savage could not beat out Gary Nova's backup at Rutgers. And if you aren't familiar with Rutgers, Gary Nova, and I'm sure he's an upstanding young man, uh, might be the worst quarterback I watched in all of college football last year. Uh, He is not good. And Savage transferred out instead of competing for the job when going out tough. And he transferred, I believe it was to Arizona or Arizona State, one of those two, for one year and then transferred out again to come to Pittsburgh. And even at Pittsburgh, he had Devin Street, and they have an outstanding freshman receiver this past year as well. So, yeah, the offensive line may not be great, but he had outstanding skill players to work with when he was at Pittsburgh. So I saw the same issues like you did, not just when the pressure was coming, but there's a clean pocket, and he's false-stepping into his throws and – making late decisions, and the ball's one hopping on its way there. So I don't really buy that apologist mentality for Savage, no. Uh, Kyle, I I got excited about Blake Bortles. On my sheet of paper here that I have, it says, let him do his plug. But when I got excited before Bortles, I got excited when we started talking about Bortles, and I forgot when I heard you mention that. So we're going to get on that right now. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work, where they just give me the whole shebang. Okay. Uh, you, if you are not familiar with my work, uh, my name is Kyle Krabs. I'm the founder of NDT Scouting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NFL Draft Tracker. Uh, you can find my work at www.ndtscouting.com, NDT short for NFL Draft Tracker. Uh, on that website, we've got a lot of great content. Uh, There's a lot of sample scouting reports from the draft guide that we put out this year. Uh, We've got 350 pages of a preview guide for $10. You get 328 sample scouting reports. Uh, You get a complete list of the big board. I did a a piece on the 10 small school prospects with the best potential in the class. Uh, I explained the way I do grading. Uh, There's a little bit of statistics, uh, a little bit of Uh, athleticism, uh, production, there's experience factored in, there's size factored in, and there's talent. Talent is, first and foremost, what I grade on. It's between 50 and 60% of an evaluation. And that draft guide gives an opportunity. There's also some of that explanation on our website that explains, in general, how we're weighing things, how we're grading things, Uh, just because I feel like you have to take a comprehensive look at an entire prospect in all areas that teams value in order to get your best possible projection for this player going forward into the next level. Thank you. What is your take on UCLA's Anthony Barr? He seemed to be a hot prospect originally. It seemed like he was up there, sort of up there with Clowney and up there on par with Mac, but his stock seems to have fallen a little bit or a lot of bit, depending on who you ask. What's your take on Barr? Barr is a guy I'm still fairly high on. I have him third. Um, I only have four, four prospects in this year's class that I thought were worth a top ten selection. And Clowney is one, Mac is the other, and Barr is third. Uh, Barr is all about upside. Like I said a little bit earlier when we were talking about Bortles and his mechanics of footwork, everyone wants to assume that 
development in a player is automatic, that it's automatically going to happen. And it didn't happen for Barr from last year to this year. Barr took everybody by storm last year because he came on as a, a transfer from the offensive side of the football. And he was making huge plays and just this big, athletic, fast, powerful uh, a prospect that's so raw. And he came in this year, and he was just as raw as he was the year before. And I think if you get him in a place that puts him in a position to be successful, I think he is a 34-weak side outside linebacker. He's a guy that you don't want setting the edge consistently against the run. And he's a guy that realistically should be rushing the passer on at least three-quarters of his snaps. If you can get him in a defense like that where he can play out in space, where he can get out wide, outside of the offensive line, and he can utilize his first step to be a pressure player and consistently get into the backfield, the rest is going to come. He might not be great at it, but with his movement skills and his athletic upside, he should have enough there, even if he only develops marginally in the fundamental side, to be a 8-10 to 10 sack player on a very consistent basis, in my opinion. One of the least talked about prospects in this draft, I believe, and not talked about hardly enough, and I really love it, uh, C.J. Mosley, love his game. Do you think he's undervalued in this draft, and what kind of player do you project him to be? I project him to be a very solid Inside linebacker, a probably a four-three Mike. He would probably be best suited as a four-three Will, uh, as a weak side linebacker, where he's still utilizing his athleticism uh, to pursue from the backside. He doesn't quite have to filter through as much traffic. Uh, he's very, very good in pass drops. Uh, that was one of the areas that really impressed me about C.J. Mosley. And in today's NFL, a linebacker that can be affect the seam, defending tight ends uh, in pass coverage is going to be very valuable for a team. But I think with the rest of the depth that's in front of him, in my opinion, I have him as an early second-round value. He's very solid, but he's not spectacular in a whole lot of areas for me. Uh, he's a fairly sure tackler. Uh, I have him specifically 40th on my board. The big question for Mosley is the uh, medical aspect. There's been a lot of underground rumblings about Mosley and his shoulder and Alabama running people into the ground. And, you know, there, there's, I've gotten a little bit of kickback that there might be some substance to that. I'm not saying that there is. But if he does slide, that would be the first thing to suspect. And since you've been talking about pass coverage and we're talking about linebackers for the last couple of minutes, it's, it's made me think of this person, Ohio State's Ryan Shazier. I definitely, I mean, just has speed, but he's a little undersized and he's slender. I mean, he were, when I look at him, I'm like, who put him at linebacker? Just his body type is so different from what we see as a linebacker. But how do you grade him out? I have Shazier with an early second-round grade, but I don't have – enough first-round prospects to fill out the first round. I only have 18 first-round values in this year's class. Uh, Shazier falls 29th on my big board, despite having an early second-round grade. 
So realistically, he could be going in the late 20s. I think a team like New Orleans, he would be an outstanding fit. Uh, He's all about speed. Uh, He's very explosive, quick to the football once he diagnoses the play. But Shazier's problem is you have to keep him clean. He is not a player that's going to shed or get rid of blockers. In what I watch from Ohio State, if somebody gets so much as a hand on him, he's out of the play. Nine times out. Yeah, of that time. frame is just—it's just, it's just. I mean, can you speak to his frame? I mean, I just found that I don't know if I'm just off, but I just found his frame fascinating. He just doesn't look like a linebacker. He's very slender and long, long torso. I was shocked that he measured in in the two thirties at the combine. Yeah, it doesn't uh, look he does at not, all. He does not look that at all. He looks like he's two fifteen, two twenty. He looks like Kelvin Smith size, if we're being honest. Uh, but Shazier's also got a little bit extra length to him, which helps him hide that girth. Um, but, yes, Shazier's a guy that has to play in space. He'll be really good in um, third and long situations, staying on the field because he's versatile enough that he can make an impact. Uh, he should stay on the field even if they switch into a nickel. You can bump him up top uh, over top of one of the guards and he's still got great speed to be able to get out into his pass drops on the perimeter, or if he's blitzing, he's explosive enough to be able to shoot a gap pretty consistently. Uh, the two safeties of the draft that most people have up top, I don't know how you're, what you're looking at, but generally the consensus, and you can add another safety if you'd like either them better than these two, but are Pryor and HaHa Clinton Dix. Which do you prefer, or do you even prefer someone else over those two? I prefer a number of guys over those two, actually. Oh, oh wow. I, I, have, I have Clinton Dix and Pryor are 8th and ninth on my safety rankings. Uh, wow. I, I am very much in the minority in this, and I've caught a lot of kickback for this. But HaHa Clinton Dix is ranked a little bit higher than Pryor. Uh, I'll start Pryor first because it's an easier explanation. Uh, Pryor, if he's got something going on in front of him that he can see, he is very good at planting his foot, driving, getting downhill, and making a play on either the ball or the ball carrier. Uh, He's very apt to just shoulder and body when he tackles, so he needs to work on his consistency as a tackler. When he's in coverage, if there's something off to his sides and peripherals, he kind of floats that way, but he's not taking proper angles to be able to shut that window for a ball to get in. And if there's anything going on behind him, he is very poor skills when it comes to recognizing route combinations, anything that's going on behind him, just his general feel when he's back outside of that 10 to 15 yard window in coverage. Uh, he's not very good. Ha ha Clinton Dix. Uh, I was pretty underwhelmed with his athleticism. Uh, He's got good ball skills. Uh, I saw some issues with consistency with his effort level. Um, He's powerful tackler. He's a big, big player for safety. But I just, his instincts didn't really do it for me. If we're being honest, a lot of people paint him as this guy that you can plug at free safety and, you know, let him, make plays on the football regularly and he can be a single high safety or he can play in a cover two. I think if he's playing in a cover two, he's best suited 
for a strong safety position, and I don't see him having the kind of turn and run skills or the kind of acceleration to be able to play as a single high. If you're doing man coverage across the board and you've got a single safety sitting up over the top, if teams are going vertical with HaHa Clinton Dix as the top safety, he's not going to be able to have enough speed to get to the sideline and effectively pass it, break up passes, in my opinion. My top safety is Dion Buchanan out of Washington State. Uh, he's very much a traditional strong safety, but he is very, very good. He's a good tackler. He's big. He's a powerful hitter, and he's very good at driving on throws that are not just in front of him but also out to the side. He makes a lot of good plays on outbreaking patterns that get out. Washington State actually used him in some cases uh, lined directly up as a quote-unquote nickel defender where he's playing man coverage, and he really impressed me in that area. But again, he's not a player that has the kind of fluidity to be able to move out top and be a single high free safety himself. You brought up a very interesting point, uh, or just this particular subject of the safeties, it brought out a very interesting philosophical scouting point. How hard is it to go against the grain as an evaluator when you have Ha Ha Clinton Dix uh, and Pryor so low when I've watched well, almost every every single uh, website or ranking I've seen basically has them as the top two. I'm not saying that it's criticism. I'm saying how hard it, and I like that, that you're willing to go out on the limb. But how, how hard is it to do that? Uh, it wasn't hard when doing the evaluations because if we're being 100% honest, I did not read any evaluations, uh, any rankings, any big boards until the middle of March uh, when I had already had for – the most part, a majority of my evaluations done. Now, there were a couple of times where you go through and you, you read uh, all these consensus reports about a player, and it makes you, you know, go back and watch some more film. But when I went back and watched these two guys, I, I was seeing the exact same thing. And ultimately, with the way I evaluate, I feel like it's very in-depth when I grade 50s and any position on film, I'm looking for 10 specific predetermined traits or variables about that position that you look for for a player to have success at the next level. And with what I look for at safety, I just I wasn't getting the boxes checked off from Clinton Dix or prior. So I just I have put so much work into developing how I do my evaluation, so I just have to trust my system that it's going to be efficient for the way that I'm evaluating prospects. Um, we're dealing with what many say is the deepest, maybe the possibly best receiver class in recent memory, if not ever. And within this of watch, of trusting the process and trusting your eyes, am I crazy to like Mike Evans over Sammy Watkins. You're asking the wrong guy. Um, Mike Evans is another player that I do not have inside my top 100. Um, oh, wow. And let me explain why. Do tell. Um, that, that, is, that is the reaction I've gotten from essentially everyone when I've came out and said that. Uh, Mike Evans, I have a couple of questions. Uh, first and foremost being his flexibility, his ability to throttle down, uh, be sudden in his movements. He's a very linear guy. Uh, he's not 
Vincent Jackson fast, but he's got good speed for being a player that size. Uh, but anytime Evans is going to make a cut or a break, you see him in his stem. He is still very vertical. He's very tall. And if you can't get your weight down and throttle down and sink on your hips, it's very difficult for you to create sudden movements and change directions. That creates a concern for me about his ability to generate separation at the next level. He does do a very nice job playing the football in the air, and he has a very good catch radius. But I've seen too many guys come up through that were 6'3", 6'4", and just relied on playing the football in the air uh, and not succeed to have enough faith to say, for sure, Evans is going to be successful. Uh, The other issue I have with him is his route running ability. Uh, This isn't so much a long-term concern as it is a first three-year concern. Uh, You look at a guy who came in last year in Corderell Patterson and went to the Vikings. Uh, He's twice the athlete that Mike Evans is, but he got maybe 200 snaps on offense his first year. He couldn't run routes. He came out of an offense where his experience running routes was extremely limited, And when I watched Mike Evans, I saw him run go routes. I saw him run slant routes. And I saw him run comeback routes. And in his comeback routes, he's very tall. So he's slow in that turnaround working back to the quarterback. It helps when you've got a guy like Johnny Manziel who can extend the play. And Evans does a really nice job recognizing where defenders are and getting out into space so he can catch the football. Um, Evans does have strong hands. He's an absolute mismatch uh, with his size. I like him a lot as a player who you can get good production out of in the red zone immediately. But as far as long-term, I wouldn't expect anything long-term out of Evans for his first two years in the league. Now, with with big receivers generally, and, and you were saying about the hips, obviously most of the time big receivers aren't as flexible in the hips and aren't as precise route runners, what separates uh, Evans from other big receivers who aren't quite precise? And, and with Evans, again, my argument is that that his ability to separate will come through the way he plays the ball and how he uses his size and maneuvers. I mean, there is a precedent, precedent for that in the NFL, but how does that differ from other bigger receivers, his lack of, uh, I guess, flexibility or route running and maneuverability that you were describing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at some of the other receivers who are up over that six foot two, six foot three range. Uh, a couple that pop out is Jordan Matthews out of Vanderbilt, Cody Latimer out of Indiana, Allen Robinson out of Penn State. And it's not just when they're throttling down as far as a cut with a sharp or a break with a sharp cut. It's also the way that they're uh, able to swing their hips and their feet out as they're running vertically. Um, If you're running a post pattern, ideally, your first step, despite the fact that you're breaking in, is you'll take your outside leg and you'll get an extra foot, foot and a half of width on your step to plant and drive on that foot so that your next step, you can take that inside foot and bring it in at that 30-degree angle. Uh, Evans because he's so tight in the hips, I don't even see him having the ability without slowing down and losing his momentum to get his foot out there in that break and then snap his head around. For me, it's I don't know if you can maintain your speed going vertical 
and get that sharp snap step with your outside foot. I just don't I don't see it from him where some of the other guys it's not necessarily the five step break down, drive off the the outside foot and then turn all the way back in and turn your shoulders hundred and eighty degrees. It's something as simple as a thirty degree turn on a post pattern. I don't see him having the hip flexibility to get that foot out there, jamming it into the ground and swing his head around maintaining full speed. And if we're going to talk about Texas A&M, a good segue is to talk about Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. If you're pro Manziel, you believe that he has special traits and that his unique playmaking ability will allow him to thrive in the NFL. If you're anti-Manziel, you're saying there's no way he's going to be able to take the beating and his refute. well, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to tip my... But the fact that he would rather improvise sometimes as a as, a, as opposed to taking the first read or running the play as it is drawn up, will be his doom in the NFL. I personally think he's going to just end up being inconsistent with big, really high highs and really low lows. What's your take on Manziel? I think that's a very fair expectation for him. Uh, the, the question with Manziel is, do you feel like you as a talent, uh, someone who's coaching talent, can your coaching staff harness his ability and get him to stick to that script. Uh, because when he is throwing fundamentally off of a proper platform, when he's taking his stride length, when his feet are the proper distribution and he's throwing off that front foot and he can see his target and he follows through, he actually has pretty surprising ball placement skills as far as his accuracy. And this isn't just inside the hashes, inside 10 yards. I'm talking perimeter throws. I'm talking... 20-yard throws, 25-yard throws downfield. I hate, and I don't like to use the word hate very frequently, but I hate his pocket awareness as it is right now. Uh, He's very quick to flush the pocket when he doesn't need to, uh, and it got him into trouble quite a bit. He had enough elusiveness to get away with it in college and still make a lot of wild plays, but I don't think it's going to be able to transition into the next level. So I like his skills throwing the football. I don't like his eagerness to flush the pocket. And his ability to succeed is going to be, simply put, coming down to whether or not you can harness his ability and get him to play within your offense. That's the best explanation I've heard of Johnny Football about the, the harnessing part, and that that is you're going to have to rein him in a little bit. You're going to have to you have to rope him in, but you're still going to have to take advantage of the abilities that he does have. Now, where do you have him rated on your uh, as far as a prospect, your grade? He, he's my sixth quarterback, and he's valued 36th overall. He's a second round value for me. Uh, I would uh, feel comfortable. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would feel comfortable if I was a team that missed out in the first round, if just the value didn't line up um, and I needed the quarterback, I would feel comfortable potentially moving on an early day three pick to slide up like five or six spots, potentially into the back end of round one and, and take him in the very late twenties. Uh, just because if you need a quarterback, you need a quarterback, and it's the one position in football where you're willing to make that exception and go out there and get a guy, even if the value doesn't line up. I'm very nervous about the next question because this is my favorite player in the draft, <laughs> and I guess Evans is one of my favorite players, but he's not exactly like – like not necessarily just 
I really enjoy watching them, so I'm rooting for them. And, of course, I like their prospects. But I'm going to give you a couple exclamation marks and a couple question marks about uh, these various prospects. So for the exclamation mark category, I love Brandon Cooks. has fast feet, great hands, great speed. I see him as an upgraded T.Y. Hilton or maybe a Sean Jackson 2.0. But the knock on him, of course, is the size that many of him, many people see him as just a slot guy. Is he more than a slot guy? Yes. Absolutely. If Cooks was three feet or three inches taller, he would probably be uh, inside my top three receivers. And the reason why Cooks isn't isn't just because of his size. It's because of the uh, negative impact that has on his ability to do a couple of things, primarily uh, contribute blocking, and that seems like a really finicky thing to knock a receiver for, but it is a part of, of playing the position. Uh, he's, he does play really tough, but when you're really tough, five foot nine and 185 pounds, you can only actually physically play so tough. Uh, and the other issue is because of his size, he doesn't quite have the catch radius. Uh, he doesn't have the ability to make plays on poorly thrown footballs that a lot of the bigger receivers will have just because they've got a lot more extra reach on him. Uh, but I love his hands, love his route running skills. He runs like a running back in the open field. Uh, he's got great vision, uh, speed, obviously, with what he ran at the combine in the 4-3 range. Um, he's absolutely a guy that you can put out on the outside because, again, it's about creating separation at the next level. And I'm, Cooks is a guy I'm very, very comfortable with. It doesn't matter who you put across from him. He's going to be able to create separation. Amen. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited you confirmed my coach. He's definitely my favorite. The first thing I do when I go to anybody's scouting report is I look for where they have Brandon Cooks, and I almost don't want to read it if it's not where I think it should be. <laughs> but I really, I don't know what about, I mean, his feet just move so fast. I mean, I'm just, yep. I was just fast. I was blown away. And I didn't see much of him during the season. So I was just <laughs> – I'm a really big fan, so I, and I hope he does well and gets the right fit. Uh, but question mark, A.J. McCarron, a lot of guys have him in his top five. I'm not sold. I don't think he has the arm. I think that his pocket presence in a muddy pocket isn't very impressive. The few times at Alabama where he actually does get pressure. Uh, what's your take on McCarron? I've got McCarron as my ninth quarterback, uh, third-round value. Uh, he's a guy who's shown enough – that you can take a shot, but he's not the guy that you want to pick and bank on him being a starter. I think his upside, realistically, is a really solid backup. Uh, my issue with McCarron is going back again to natural arm talent. It's not good. Uh, he rainbows his deep patterns a little bit too much. Uh, his ball placement's really poor. And anytime you get pressure, McCarron's really lucky in the fact that playing in Alabama – uh, ran the football so much, they protected him so well, he didn't really experience a lot of pressure. But anytime you had the opportunity to see him playing against pressure, he would fade away, not even to the point where he would step into his throw and just step away from his target. I mean, physically, both feet are not coming towards the line of scrimmage at all. He's falling backwards, throwing away from his throws. That's yeah, he really does that last time. He'll even kind of like hop a little bit back and throw it. Or, yeah, yeah, I, I noticed that too. And the ball plays, I've seen too many times. Well, I mean, these receivers are wide open. I mean, they're waiting on the ball on deep patterns and outside the numbers. And yeah, I'm just not. I think a lot of people are going off a of pedigree because we've seen him so much. But 
I, I think right. his his intangibles outweigh his tangibles, which I don't think is a recipe for success in the NFL. No, Aaron I, I just really okay. Aaron Aaron Donald. Oh, you can finish uh, on AJ if you want to finish on AJ. Then you can transfer to McDonald uh, McDonald to Donald. AJ is just uh, he doesn't show anything to me, even coming down to just. You know, the way he handles himself. I thought he was a guy who, you know, we kind of questioned Bridgewater's ability to, to handle the offseason circuit. Uh, whoever's given A.J. McCarron advice needs to be fired. Um, between not partaking in the Senior Bowl, not partaking in the Combine as a guy who was nowhere near a consensus top quarterback, and then this whole thing that's come out about him getting a reality show with Catherine Webb, uh, it's going to be a circus, and I would not be surprised to see a lot of teams just kind of turn the other way and not think twice. Uh, let's see. We got about five minutes. I think I have about three questions, so we just got to we got to hit we got to move a little bit, but we'll do the best we can. Uh, Aaron yep. Donald, the knock on him is obviously a little bit of a size, but I see him as a potentially dominant player. Uh, very very disruptive player. The comparison is Geno Atkins. I like that comparison quite a bit. Uh, I, I just am not really confident with his uh, disengagement skills. Uh, as a pass rusher, he's a penetration player. He's getting into gaps, and that works really well for him. But as a run defender, uh, his motor runs kind of hot and cold sometimes as a run defender, and I need to be able to see him press blockers off and disengage, get their hands clean. Where do you have him among defensive tackles? Uh, defensive tackles, he's my second just behind Rashid Hagman. And he is, his values, I believe, 32nd on my board. Okay. Uh, my question mark, Marquise Lee, uh, his, two years ago, he looked amazing, a lot of transition, a lot of craziness, poor quarterback play, poor coaching at USC for a while. Well, how do you feel about Marquise Lee, USC's Marquise Lee? He is actually my top receiver this year. Um, wow. I really love, loved his tape, and you come in and watch him. 2013, he had an issue, uh, really slowed him down. The quarterback play was really poor. That also really slowed him down. People did this last year with Robert Woods. Uh, he had a great year before he came out, and then the year he came out, he wasn't all that great statistic-wise. And people nitpicked him, nitpicked him, nitpicked him. Uh, Woods with Buffalo through, I think it was the first six or seven weeks of the season, uh, was on pace to put up, I think it was 1,100 yards. So... I think there's a lot of transition there uh, that's a very easy transition for a receiver like Lee to make. Uh, his hands are a little spotty, and that's really the only knock. He's got adequate downfield speed. I like his route running. Uh, he's a tough guy. But he's a guy I like. Um, Dante Moncrief, I got onto his boat late. I like him. I like the explosiveness. He reminds me of Josh Gordon. I love one of the things I noticed about him that I noticed about Josh Gordon when I watched him on tape was how quickly they can take the cushion of the corner of the cornerback and how quickly they can eat up that cushion. I like the physicality, kind of a Josh Gordon. Obviously, they might not have that success. But reminds me of Josh Gordon or a Terrell Owens and just the way the big physical explosiveness. What? How do you feel about him? I agree with the immediate observation that he eats up cushion really quick. He's a guy that's really good at getting that cornerback to turn and flip his hips. Uh, and that way, at that point, he's got him where he wants him. Uh, I was shocked that he ran so fast. Uh, he looked quick for his size, but he didn't look that big. So I was shocked. And then you go back and you watch him, and 
when he's got the the ball in open field, he's actually got a little bit of a burst to him. Uh, the, the strength is an obvious plus. I just think he's a guy that's really going to benefit at the next level once he gets a quarterback not named Bo Wallace who can consistently <laughs> get him the football. Uh, he's a guy I like a lot as well. He's in my early 60s uh, just because of the depth at receiver. Uh, the receiver yeah, class, uh, early second round, late first round, there's a ton of value there. So Moncrief ends up sliding down a little bit. He's my ninth receiver, but he's 65th on my board. Yeah, he, it is hard. I was trying to find somewhere to put him, and I'm like, look at these receivers, and I love him. But I think I might have him six or seven. But it's just really hard to get a read on uh, – I mean, not get a read, but it's really hard to move up with this class of receiver. Last but not least, I'm, I'm, a lot of people love Derek Carr. I'm not in that fan club. I kind of feel about him like you feel about Mike Evans. And the only person I've really heard that was really low on him – was Todd Mache. I don't like the footwork. I mean, his, the thing that bothers me is that the footwork is just his response to pressure. He sees ghosts, and I just, oh, my gosh, it disturbs me on so many levels. Let me say, there are some good things, but that just really bothers me. Uh, Carr, I, I like. Uh, I have him. I do have him with a first-round value, uh, but it's a very late first-round value. Uh it, it goes to arm talent because his ball placement, throwing the ball down the field, his arm strength, and it's incredible how powerful he is throwing the football with just how bad his feet are. Yeah, um, he can. He has another that, arm. That's the, that was the not for Bortles was his footwork was bad, but you look at car throw bad feet versus Bortles throw with bad feet, and it's incredible just how much strength he's actually got in his arm. So uh, I think that kind of takes away some of the concerns I had with Bortles, although I do see a lot of carryover between the issues that I had with Bortles and the issues I had with Carr. Um, Carr is just, like you said, a little bit more spotty under pressure. He's a guy that needs to stay clean. He's a guy that has to go to an offensive line that's going to be able to keep, even if you force him to step up into the pocket, if your tackles aren't that great, your guard to guard in your interior offensive line has to be good because he really struggles with A-gap pressure. Um, but I do like him, I think, with his arm talent. He's got a little bit more upside. Uh, he's going to be really good if he goes to a vertical passing team that can keep him clean between the guards. And we're almost, we're out, about out of time. This was the best podcast. I've done quite a few podcasts. This is the best podcast I've ever done with someone. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It was great. It was awesome.